This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. What is up, team, and welcome back to the show. Today, we are diving into the five training mistakes you need to stop making to finally see progress again. So, really, we could title this episode the most common training conversations I have on calls with new clients, which would be a mouthful of a title. So, of course, I'm not going to title it that. But really, anytime a new online client starts coaching with us, the reality is we attract more intermediate to advanced clients. So this is very much geared towards you. Um, but these are from all my conversations, probably the five most common trends I've identified, the five most common mistakes that people are making. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive into it. So mistake number one is focusing on specific movements instead of movement patterns. So there is a train of thought in the fitness industry that, and I know I fell victim to this for a long time, that everyone needs to back squat, barbell deadlift, and barbell bench press in order to make progress. Regardless of your goals, everyone just needs to do these exercises. These are the quote unquote best exercises for building muscle. Um, and truly this line of thinking has, for lack of better terms, fucked so many people up. The reality is like any of these movements. So for example, I never barbell bench press. I have a separated AC joint. I can do a lot of horizontal pressing, but for me, I just know my shoulders feel much better on an incline or if I'm gonna do a flat press, I have to work with dumbbells. But a barbell bench press absolutely wrecks my shoulders. And I know for me, for a long time after my initial shoulder injury, I was trying to continue to bench press just like I had before the shoulder injury. And constantly pushing that actually just made my issue worse and slowed the recovery time down dramatically. And it actually created an imbalance that made my other shoulder heart start to hurt as well. So for me, and I know this is where this concept really started to first click for me. This was, was around the time I was starting my career as a trainer too. But um, I know for me personally, it wasn't until I switched to, okay, I'm going to do dumbbell presses and maybe I'm going to swap with a low incline press for a flat press. Oh shit. All of a sudden now my shoulder feels better, but my chest is still growing and I can still focus on progressing strength on this just like I can with, um, my flat or like I did with my flat barbell bench press before. And I know the same thing was very true for clients within my training career. Um, my in-person training career at the start. And now we're talking about, of course, all my training, but um, again, going into that initially thinking, okay, everyone, I, like for my clients to succeed, they have to get to the point where they can barbell deadlift from the floor, barbell back squat, barbell bench press, and everything that we're doing to a weird extent. I know when I started training, honestly, probably because, which I know I've talked about starting strength on the podcast before, but when I first started my training career, that was one of the first books that I dove into. And Mark Ripito of Starting Strength is very, like, the big lifts are all you need to do, essentially. Of course, he adds in a couple other movements also. But I quickly realized, one, like, many of my clients weren't just weren't suited to back squat. For them, okay, maybe they would feel better. Maybe they, for their anatomy or injury history, a Bulgarian split squat, a hack squat 
a safety bar squat, something along those lines felt much better. For their anatomy, maybe that allowed them to achieve a greater range of motion. Maybe it allowed us to push the overload more and safer with their injury history. I also realized that most of them didn't give a shit how much they could back squat. For my clients that wanted to like, yo, I just want to get jacked quads and also uh, I seem to irritate my back whenever I back squat. Okay, cool. Let's plug in a hack squat. Or I just want to feel functionally strong. Again, I want to build muscle, but I tend to, for uh, really for most people, um, especially as an in-person trainer, where you do tend to, for, or at least at the time I know I worked with more um, closer to beginners, most everyone had back issues. And most everyone didn't have the prerequisite mobility or stability to effectively like overload a back squat. So for most people, and specifically then I know like lunges and the Bulgarian split squats we use the shit out of because most people could overload those much better. Most people also had a imbalance from left leg to right leg. So we were addressing that. We could tweak that to be a little bit more posterior dominant. So most individuals in situations like this, and if you're an in-person trainer, I'm sure you can relate to this, will have typically, and honestly this rings true for online clients as well, but again, most people that we work with nowadays um, already have a pretty solid foundation of training under their belt. But the point of this is, again, we can shift that to be, make this, okay, we're gonna make this a little bit more posterior dominant as well. Um, all these different tweaks we could make to really suit it to the individual. And that was where it really clicked with me that, okay, there are these foundational movement patterns we build all our training programs around. And still to this day, all our training programs are built around getting you as a client, just plugging in different variations of squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull. Those are the foundation, the meat and potatoes of your training program. From there, of course, we're adding in isolation work, accessory work as needed to either A, support those big lifts, so if you have strength goals, or if you have aesthetic goals to add extra volume to weak points or muscle that you want to bring up. But these different variations of the squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull movement pattern are really what we're building a training program around. That said, again, the most important thing to realize here is it's not barbell back squat, barbell deadlift, barbell bench press, and barbell row. We have to plug those in. Within these movement patterns, a squat could be a back squat, a squat could be a hack squat, a squat pattern could be a leg press. Don't tell me that's not functional. Um... A squat pattern could be a rear foot elevated split squat. A hinge pattern could be a deadlift, or it could be a 45 degree back extension. You get the idea here. But this gives us so much freedom to tailor your training program to you as an individual, your unique anatomy, your unique goals. Again, the reality is a lot of times dumbbells and machines are going to be, specifically for individuals that have more aesthetic goals, a lot of times dumbbells and machines are going to allow for more effective training than purely barbell movements. So for so many reasons, it makes sense, whether you're a coach or you're someone that's coaching yourself, to focus on these movement patterns and not get tied to specific movements. All right, mistake number two is not keeping a training log. So really, once we've been training for past the honestly we could say six months of smart training programming but for most people it is and it really varies by individual we could say six to nine months <laughs> um but honestly up to a couple years if you haven't consistently been following a smart training program but really regardless of how long it takes you once you get to that 
quote-unquote intermediate stage in your training career, as most of us know, progress doesn't come as easily or it doesn't come with as little thought and structure. So most of us can just go into the gym when we first start training, no matter what we're doing, we make good progress. This is where people fall in love with training. The The heartbreaking part is people continue to try to use that same approach for years and years and years. I'm not really structured. I don't really have a training program. I just kind of go in there and go by feel and literally spin their wheels for years. And then people are frustrated because, yo, like, why am I not seeing progress? And again, this is typically when people start coaching with us. So the reality of being someone in your shoes who has been training for a good amount of time is improvement on a set by set basis. So for example, Okay, dope, I added a rep with the same weight on set one relative to the same set last week. That is key for anyone that's trained as long as you have to continue to make progress. So again, for like these intermediate plus individuals. So basically what I'm saying here is rather than like when we start, okay, last week I benched 135 for five. This week I benched 145 for five. We can't keep progressing linearly, linearly like that. So as we get more advanced, it turns into more like rep PRs. So specifically like, okay, I've been working in the eight to 12 rep range for my barbell back squat or my safety bar squat. Now, last week I hit, um, let's say I hit 225 for eight. Okay, cool. I know that I need to push to hit 225 for nine this week. That really ties in with, and that really ties in with the RIR scheme, the reps and reserve scheme that we feel we use with our clients as well. But relevant to you, the thing to realize is, as someone that's already pretty intermediate to advanced, you no matter what, it'll go in there and feel hard. You can, or it'll feel hard within your training. So you can go in there, you do the same sets and reps and weight that you've been doing for the last couple months, and it'll still feel hard because you're a strong individual. You push yourself for a good amount of time. So it can feel like, always feel like you're doing something, but because we're not truly overloading or pushing you, then progress will be be minimal or none. So this is the beauty of keeping a logbook. And this is exactly, my online clients use TrueCoach. TrueCoach is super convenient because I can actually, my clients can drop, our clients I should say, can drop training notes so we have them record all their weights we have you drop form videos for us in there so we can just hop right in there and give you feedback and for many of my clients this is actually how i adjust volume week to week we look at okay so relative to the same set last week how was your progress this week did you add a rep or add a bit of load did progress stay the same or did it decrease and really for me that's a big indicator of how i adjust your training volume across the course of a mesocycle and we're typically increasing volume a little bit across the course of the cycle. But that's a topic for a different podcast, or honestly, that could be a topic for this next point. But regardless, the point of this is, if you aren't keeping a training log, if you're just going in there, going by feel, your progress won't be what it could be. Because this really tells you how hard you need to push to improve from your previous session or your previous time training these same movement patterns. All right, mistake number three is no progression scheme. So really your program should always include some type of smart progression. So basically some way to push you across the mesocycle or the training phase. So there's a couple different, there's many different options we can use here. The reality is there are so many different rep schemes, progression schemes, 
designed for you to implement and progress across the mesocycle. A couple of my favorites personally. One, decreasing reps in reserve or RIR across the mesocycle and pushing to add reps or load in a specific rep range weekly. So really, this is likely the most frequently, currently this is the progression scheme that I use most frequently for my more intermediate to advanced clients. So basically here, let's imagine, let's say it is again, we'll use the example of a rear foot elevated split squat. Okay, so I'm assigning you one, a rep range. Let's say eight to 12 reps per side. And let's say three sets of eight to 12 per side. We're gonna start that at approximately two, or let's say three RIR for the start of the mesocycle. So week one, three RIR, three sets of eight to 12 per side. Next week, we are going to decrease RIR to two. So we know that you wanna be taking this one rep closer to failure than you did for the previous week. So thus, you should be able to add a rep from the previous week's performance. And honestly, sometimes you could add two, maybe sometimes you can even add three if it's a new movement and or potentially a rep or potentially a little bit of load. Now, again, for most intermediate plus individuals, the smallest increment of progress is a rep. And for most people, we focus on, hey, I'm going to add, I want you to focus on adding reps so you max out the rep range. Then you're going to start the process over and we'll add more load. So if we look at this across multiple mesocycles, again, maybe we keep you at three sets of eight to 12. First week, we're at three RIR. Second week, we're at two RIR. Third week, we are at one RIR, and we're pushing you up to four sets because you progressed. And by this point, the way that you're using for eight reps at the start of the mesocycle on your first set, now you can hit it for 11 reps. Um, final week, again, we're at four sets. We're pushing to zero to one RIR. So basically it's an all out, all out effort. You hit 12 reps. Okay, cool. Now we're gonna deload. We're gonna keep this movement in your same mesocycle because you made such good progress the last mesocycle. We're gonna start over at three RIR, but from here, we are going to increase load a little bit. So again, last the your set of your final set or your first set, excuse me, of the final week of pushing the last mesocycle before the deload, you hit 12 reps with, let's say you had 50 pounds in each hand. Okay, cool. This phase, we're gonna to continue to work in that eight to 12 rep range and we're gonna increase the load slightly. So now you're gonna start the process over with 55s instead of 50 or 52 and a half instead of 50. Okay, cool. And again, you'll be closer to eight to nine reps to start. Now, again, personally, that's one of my favorites. Now, the thing here is also the rep ranges don't have to stay static. A lot of times when we're progressing movements from mesocycle to mesocycle, because across mesocycles, we want to slightly increase volume. Typically how I program is each mesocycle will be increasing volume or layering it on a little bit more for three to four mesocycles until we get to the point where we're kind of at the peak of the volume that you can do, which is typically going to be a metabolite phase. Then we'll take you through a lower volume phase to kind of resensitize your body to training volume. So we can once again, get more out of doing less volume and kind of start the process over. Um, but again, that's somewhat a topic for a different podcast. So that's my personal, as of now, my personal favorite progression scheme. I'm sure if you're listening to this six months from now, I'm sure this has likely changed at this point because as a coach, I'm always evolving, evolving. But as of now, that's my personal favorite. Um, from there, we have things like, okay, I'm strictly going to maintain weight and add reps across the mesocycle. So again, pretty similar to very similar to our previous rep scheme, except for um, load of saint, or previous progression scheme, except for load of saint static. 
We could push and progress, for example, your five rep max, eight rep max, 10 rep max, etc. Every single week as RIR decreases. This is another one that I really like. I use this in my training program, the actual training program, functional aesthetics that dropped in June. That was one I really liked. So we had people progressing. Um, the second mesocycle, we had people progressing their five rep max on a deadlift variation and their 10 rep max on a squat variation. We stayed at the same rep count across every week, but RIR was decreasing across a four week mesocycle and a five week mesocycle. Um, RIR was decreasing. So therefore you should be able to push the load that you're using with this weight weekly. Super in it. That's a very fun one to program. It's cool because you are hitting new loads every single week. Um, and then we have decrease in RIR and reps and pushing to increase load. So this is another one you'll see quite commonly. So for example, week one, we are doing four by 10. Week two, we are doing four by eight. Week three, we are doing four by six. RIR is slightly decreasing. And honestly, a lot of times with this progression, you'll see RIR stay at like one to two. And we're just decreasing load, increasing, or excuse me, decreasing reps, increasing load. So here, for example, let's say you are progressing your front squat. We're going to start you at 10 reps. And let's say you are doing 185. Next week, we're going to drop the weight or drop the reps to eight. And you are going to progress 195. The next week, we're going to drop it to six. And you're going to progress 205. And then from there, let's say we deload. It's a pretty short mesocycle, but roll with it. Then we'll start the process over at 10 reps, but this time you want to be five to 10 pounds or even two and a half pounds heavier than you were at the start of the previous mesocycle. So 10 reps four weeks ago, you're using 185. Now you're going to use 190, 195. That's another smart way to progress. This is more of a linear progression, but also something that works very well. Now, as you've gathered, there are tons of different progression schemes you can use here, tons of smart progression schemes that we use with clients. You don't have to stick to just one. You can implement multiple of these within a single training program. We do all the time. The point is you need some clear structured progression to avoid falling into this trap of, I feel like I'm working hard, but actually have been doing the same shit for months. Next, biggest mistake is too much variety within your training program. So the thing to understand here is your body and brain spend time trying to learn the skill of a new complex movement. And it takes time for your body to truly get super efficient at a movement. So really, I believe for untrained individuals, like first doing a movement, like let's use a barbell back squat, for example, if we look at motor neurons, which in a nutshell, basically your brain sends signals to motor neurons and let's say your quads in this example of our back squat to fire, which in turn creates a muscle contraction and you lift the weights. Now, the thing to realize here is for untrained individuals or even like individuals that are newer to a specific movement, your brain, I believe the number is around 50% of the actual neurons that could be firing at once are actually firing for like a new movement. Now, of course, this varies by individual, but the point is you are nowhere close to your maximum mobility with that new movement the first time that you do it. And really the first couple times that you do it. Now, the second thing to realize here is the more complex a movement is, the more true this is. So we can, we're going to get into this in just a moment, but this is also why like we'll introduce more variety with simpler movements. Like a bicep curl 
it's pretty easy for us to master the skill of within the first couple reps of doing a new variation. That said, a deadlift variation from the floor, um, a barbell squat variation, things like that just take time. So they take time for our body to really learn the skill and truly get efficient at it to the point we can lift loads that are truly challenging for us on a muscular level and not just on a neurological level. So again, the first couple weeks are more or less skill acquisition. That's why we'll see people get much, much stronger the first couple weeks of doing a new movement. Your body is literally just getting better at a skill. It's not because you are building a ton of muscle. So the thing here to realize is during those first couple weeks, it's less likely, in my opinion, it's less likely that you are going to be building as much muscle because the first couple of weeks are really getting a feel for one, the skill of the movement, actually getting skilled at it enough to truly push your muscles, the target muscles to the point where they're fatigued enough to simulate muscle growth rather than like, okay, this movement feels uncomfortable, weird, a little bit unstable. And that's somewhat my limiting factor. Two, getting a feel for the loads you can use to hit your appropriate RIR targets. So if we're introducing too much variation, those first couple weeks aren't gonna yield a lot of progress. So the thing here to realize is, and this is a big part of why most of my clients now run five to six week mesocycles, but if we look at the example of like the typical four week mesocycle or four week training phase, let's say you are switching out every movement you're doing in a four week training phase. Let's say, and let's say the fourth week is a deload. So basically what that means is the first couple of weeks likely aren't that effective of training to stimulate muscle growth. The last week also is a deload, so you're not simulating muscle growth there. So basically you have one week every month of really effective training. So not the best way to go about creating the physique you want. Um, now again, like this is a fine line because many individuals also need some variety to stay engaged. And a huge piece of all of this, just like everything with nutrition, such a big piece of training is actually keeping it fun, keeping the client engaged. That's a huge thing that we focus on. So as coaches or as someone programming for yourself, we very much have to walk the line between enough variation to keep it an engaging, fun and exciting and new and interesting without so much variation that it's killing your progress. All right, the final mistake that we have is trying too hard to feel the muscle working. So there's a common thought process out there that is something like, okay, I need to think really hard and really try to feel all my muscles working. And that'll create a good mind-muscle connection and create the muscle disruption that I want. So, and I've been so guilty of this in the past. So we go really slow. We try to lift very slow. Like, ah, oh, why can't I feel my quads working in the squat? What is going on? This is pissing me off. I need to drop the loads. I need to go slower. And really it just yields to a lot of overthinking and very little disruption. So how I look at this now, and I believe that I pulled this saying from the guys at In One Education, great resource on this, focus on executing the movement perfectly and putting the muscle in a position to be successful and the mind-muscle connection and disruption you want will follow. So it's similar to how like when we talk about quote unquote fixing your hormones, people think like, okay, I need to fix my hormones and then that'll get me healthy. Um, my lifestyle will improve it, et cetera. When really it's, yo, you need to focus on your health, focus on improving your lifestyle and your hormones will improve. Same thing here. 
people think it's i need to really try hard to feel the muscle working that'll yield a good mind muscle connection and disruption when really i would argue it's mostly you need to focus on executing the movement put the muscle in a position to be successful and the mind muscle connection the disruption that you want will follow so again when we're diving into this conversation of how do i put the muscle in a position to be successful and really i've come up with a checklist that myself and my clients use to make sure that we are putting things in the proper position and again rather than focusing so hard on quote unquote trying to feel things so one is your tempo on point so we know that it makes sense to focus on making the concentric portion of your movements very explosive so basically the actual lifting portion of a movement on the way out from a squat curling that barbell up to your face etc it should feel and this is because more explosive movements recruit more of your fast twitch muscle fibers, which have more potential to grow. So it should feel like, of course, you're almost pulling or pushing through mud if you're using a challenging weight because it won't just fly up, but you should be trying to move the weight, quote unquote, up as fast as possible. You should be trying to lift the weight as fast as possible and then slow the eccentric or lowering portion of the lift because we also know that an eccentric creates more a slow control eccentric is essentially going to create more muscle damage which also is associated with hypertrophy or muscle growth now from there range of motion you need to ask yourself am i training the muscle through a full range of motion with a clear start or top and a clear end or bottom point of every rep and is the muscle stretching at the bottom of every rep? Not relevant to all movements, but relevant to most. So for example, I always use the barbell curl here. The bottom point of each rep is with my arms fully extended and I flex my triceps to be sure I've actually fully extended my arms. The top point of each rep is when the barbell touches my chin. Okay, cool. So from there, I have consistent start and points. Through every movement, I've started identifying these points so I can make sure that I'm training full range of motion consistently. And we do the same thing for our clients. Now, and this is really like one of the biggest things we talk about in the first couple of weeks when we have you shoot over form videos. So from there, this is very helpful because again, like I know for me, for the longest time with my bicep curls, I was like, why can't I feel my biceps working? They should, I should be able to feel them here. But I was taking them very, very slow, especially on the way up. I was really just trying to feel my biceps working. And also, I later realized my range of motion was just getting cut shorter and shorter as the set went on. So now, if I focus on being explosive on the way up, extending my arm fully at the bottom of each rep, I have that consistent range of motion every single rep to count it as a rep. And I focus on proper execution rather than trying to feel the muscle. My biceps are wrecked afterwards. Finally, we have effort on a similar note to what we just talked about. Basically, are you hitting your reps and reserve targets and taking the movement close enough failure to stimulate muscle growth? So really, if you tick these boxes, you are putting the muscle in a, in a position to be successful. And we could also dive into exercise selection here as well, which is kind of a whole different topic in and of itself. But to wrap this up briefly, one, anytime we're choosing a movement, we want to ensure that the target muscle group is the rate limiter. So it's not aerobic fatigue. It's not your grip. It's not the fact that your core is so unstable that you have to stop the movement. It's the specific muscle group that we're trying to target is the rate limiter, the thing that makes you fail. Two, we have compoundedness. So basically it's smart for most of your movements to work multiple muscle groups and joints at the same time. 
Three, range of motion. So typically, the greater the range of motion an exercise allows, the more effective it will be for stimulating muscle growth. Now again, realize that this is specific to the joints that are working with the associated muscles. So for example, if we're looking at a back squat to build your quads, knee flexion, so knee bend, the more knee bend we can achieve, the greater range of motion or the greater the distance our quads are going to have to take our body through. Thus, the more stimulus per rep we are going to get from each each um, each rep. But the thing to realize here as well is we can't just say, okay, an ass to grass squat, the deeper you squat no matter what, the more quad growth we're going to achieve. Because we get to a point where, okay, now my hamstrings are touching my calves. I can't achieve any more knee flexion here. I can potentially go lower, but I'm not getting more knee flexion out of that. Maybe I'm rounding my back a little bit um, or we're making it a more posterior dominant squat. So again, keep this specific to the joints that we're trying to work or the muscles that are acting on, like the joints that the muscles you're trying to train are acting on. That's the key here. So for example, but if we're looking at your squats, um, like a high bar back squat, if we look at a high bar squat, versus a box squat, the high bar squat specific to the quads is going to have a lot more range of motion. So that's likely better for stimulating muscle growth. Next, we want to make sure these movements have an eccentric component. Um, so here, as we talked about before, a controlled negative about two to four seconds is likely going to stimulate hypertrophy. So an example I use here often is if we're looking at your hamstrings, a Romanian deadlift with a slow control eccentric is likely going to do a lot more for actual muscle growth specific to your hamstrings and glutes than a conventional deadlift because a conventional deadlift really doesn't have um, any negative component. Most people just drop it and there's not much of a stretch, which we also know stretch under load, which there's a strong stretch under load in a Romanian deadlift is another um, thing that's been associated with muscle growth. And then finally, we just need the ability to be able to overload it long-term. So for example, here we can look at a push-up versus a dumbbell bench press. Are push-ups a great movement? Yeah. I mean, we could argue also like the range of motion and there's things we can do to like a deficit push-up, for example, to achieve a more full range of motion. But even from a loadability perspective, it's much harder to continue to overload your push-up for months and years than it is like a bench press. So as far as movements go, some important things to consider there. But that is the five biggest mistakes you are likely making that are killing your progress. Stop doing these. Take everything I talked about here into consideration, and you will see quicker progress in your training than you have in years. Now, speaking of making more progress than you have in years, I wanted to remind you of our online coaching service. We help individuals just like you apply proven science-backed nutrition and training methods through individualized coaching to help you get the body you want and truly teach you how to keep it for a lifetime, even when we're not working together anymore. So if you've been spinning your wheels in the gym, if you're sick of not seeing progress, or if you're sick of working your ass off and not feeling like what you see in the mirror reflects all the hard work that you've been putting in, in the gym and the kitchen, hit the link in the show notes to apply for online coaching with our team. All right, guys, and that is all I have for you for today. Thank you for tuning in.